Hello, pre-chat time. I'm going to set the mood. Darcy is asleep next to me on the sofa, a little bit wet from the walk from before. The light is drifting in onto the sofa, just across it. I'm going to stop. Today's guest is the very charismatic Tom Reed Wilson. You may know him from Celebsco Dating and recently on BBC Celebrities Best Home Cook, where he's doing very, very well. Uh, we recorded this back in February the 2nd, uh, 2021, and he is an absolute delight, and I can't wait to hear his word of the day, because they are literally, I don't know, I'll find out a word that I can say. Anyway, enjoy, let's start the podcast. Hello, Daniel Johnson here, and Darcy, on the sofa, and this is best thing. A very warm welcome to you and thank you so much for tuning in again. Yeah, today's guest is a corker. His name is the wonderful, this is his full title, Tom Reed Wilson. And as you may have heard in the pre-chat, he's from Celebsco Dayton. He's just done Celebrity's Best Home Cook, which is on the BBC. And he is such a delight. So we'll be finding out all about his best things. Also, we have Adam Harris. Yes, the legend doing his fat chicken. Bethia Beats with her brand new music that's going to be played at the end of the podcast. And the boys at Filmbag giving us a rundown on the films we may have missed out on. So I think we should get started. Up next, Adam Harris's fat chicken. Then interview with Tom Reed Wilson. Enjoy. Hey, hey, Fat Chicken here. And most of you probably got an Apple iPhone, haven't you? But some of you haven't. Some of you got a Samsung phone. But what on earth does Samsung mean? Find out at the end of the show. If you're looking for something completely different for a friend's birthday, anniversary, or you just want to wish them good luck in their new job, but I can't do a video, that'd be rubbish. Who could I get? Well, you could get loads of people at Memo. Get a personal video message from your favorite celebrity. But who? Well, let me tell you. What about Charlotte Crosby from Geordie Shaw? Or Sandra or Sandy from Gogglebox? Gabby Allen, Amy Childs, and if they like sport, you can get Matt Letissier, Glenn Hoddle, John Barnes, Paul Lintz, and Razor Ruddock. You can even get Carol Baskin. Who's that? She's on Tiger King, of course. Oh, yes. All you have to do is write a message, and you get your video within seven days. A perfect gift, and the best thing you could do for a friend today. It's that easy. Just go to memo.me. That's memo.me. Why not get a fun celebrity message today? Thank you so much for doing this, Tom. Um, It's so funny how this happened because someone said that you'd be a great guest for the podcast and then you liked that message on Twitter. Then I messaged you and here you are. Yes, yes, I know. And isn't that the loveliest kind of organic happenstance I just adore it when that happens and when it's that quick and that easy yeah. I like that as well you're are you a bit of a local because I I live in Theo I don't know if you know where that is but like it's not too far Theo away in from Berkshire? yes oh yeah Theo in Berkshire I don't believe it my <laughs> mum went to Theo Green School oh wow and at the time at the time she held the record for fastest hundred meter sprint I think she's very zippy very, <laughs> she's so very athletic yeah. Oh, well, she's a tiny little thing. She's a firecracker, though. I mean, um, she compensates for being a very small package in other ways. <laughs> yeah, because like your family sort of wise are not too far away from, from here because Bradfield College, I know, is around in your family and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you move to nearby uh, Pangbourne College and stuff like that. I've done my research, Tom. I'm just you saying. really have done your homework. I'm dazzled by that. No, that's true. I mean, I wouldn't exist at all if it hadn't been for Bradfield College because um, there was a curious sort of almost Truman Show-esque phenomenon that happened there where um, the eldest daughters of staff would either date the youngest teachers or the eldest students and um, my mum always liked an older man and the youngest teacher really was 16 years her senior and that that was my dad wow and so he was the daughter of a French master and he was an English master and they started 
dating and then um, I happened rather quickly and rather accidentally. <laughs> and lo and behold, they set up house on campus. So I was a field away from my maternal grandparents wow. who kind of almost co-raised me really. That's incredible. Um, I, I love it when it's little local things like that. And especially people in my, uh, you know, living in around Theo and stuff like that. And and we've got Bucklebury and it's, it's wonderful. My mum's best friend lives in Theo and, uh, and also... Kate Bush lives around the corner from you. Did you know that? Yes. Yeah, she's actually um, moved though, but that house is amazing. Oh gosh, well dazzling. My mum used to go there and cut little Bertie's hair because uh, my mum taught him at, at nursery at St Andrews. Wow. Smith. Yeah. Gosh, it's, it's a small world. Interconnected, isn't it? But I'm it is, not it is. there. I'm I'm sitting in my spare bedroom with my microphone protruding from my wardrobe <laughs> on a kind of clamp. Um, in Chelsea. Well, that's lovely too. I mean, how's the weather? Is it all right? It's lovely too. It's lovely too. I'm kind of equidistant from the river and the King's Road and it's quite nice being hunkered down here. I'm flying solo though. Yeah, that's the hardest thing. I've got Darcy sort of sat beside me and she's she's keeping me sane, but I'm also by myself at, at home as well. Oh. And I'm in the spare room as well. Well, it's kind of more the study, but like it, that's sort of a sofa bed. Sadly, I'd love to have a dog with me but sadly I can't because I release a pheromone that makes them go party in fact um <laughs> I was in the park not that long ago and I tend to be in synchrony with the dog walking society and all of the dogs sniff my pheromone and take it in turns to attach themselves to me and go really <laughs> hammer and tong at my leg and um they were quite firmly admonished by their owners and finally finally they stopped doing it they still come up and sniff me and lick me but they don't they don't um hunt me anymore mercifully but it happens to me very very quickly i mean just at the stop sign you know waiting for the green man to come on they attach themselves to me it's it's really extraordinary i mean <laughs> i call this beginning bit the soft opening of darren Litton, who did the the podcast in season two and he said that was a bit too rude so we'll just call it just the opening uh, which is probably just as rude um <laughs> we're gonna go straight into it my dad had a friend who was an actor um and he always used to say to his acting chums a warm hand on your opening <laughs> <laughs> and that's the why that's the why you're the way you are to be honest if you're gonna grow up with things like that like a little bit of uh naughtiness i think well i, I know that. i know i had no hope <laughs> did i um we're gonna go straight into food and already so um you know we're gonna put this out a little later so um it's not happening tomorrow but um i'm watching uh, you on celebrity's best home cook and you've done like a victoria sponge with custard icing yeah. you've done venison you've done uh, a chocolate plum tart you've done a quiche i mean for now you're not even in the weakest dish kind of thing that that seems quite horrible have you always been good at cooking well i call myself a culinary enthusiast rather than a culinary wizard i have no really discernible skill to speak of but i absolutely adore doing it and it's therapy for me it really is i i love i find uh, chopping and and simmering and the whole process very therapeutic at the shank of the evening. I, I just adore it. Yeah, I mean, you, you look like a natural and you don't seem to be sort of flustered by being in the kitchen, especially surrounded by other people who may be better or worse cooks than you. Oh, my goodness. Well, that was the thing. I mean, I didn't know anything about my cohorts. And suddenly to see the supreme skill I was up against, I thought, gosh, I better pull my socks up. I really had. So I was straining every culinary sinew. I mean, it was really, really no mean feat. But the most extraordinary thing about that show was that it was a masterclass because I thought we'll just posit our dishes before the judges and we'll flex our muscles and they'll say good, bad or indifferent. But it wasn't like that at all. They gave us these extraordinary nuggets to take home and employ for the rest of our lives, really. Yeah, it's a bit like doing dancing on ice and then coming away and being able to do like dancing backwards and stuff like that, stuff that you could never do. And yes. I guess when you do a cooking show, you, you really have these things to take away and you can go, wait a minute, when I've got friends that I'm allowed over and family, I can now cook these wonderful things. Yes, and you're under Dane Mary Berry and then Angela Hartnett, who's a Michelin-starred chef, and Chris Bavin, who knows everything there is. And I really hope in the final cut they include all his trivia because he knows 
everything there is to know about food, including what yeah, he's... knobs and um, curious <laughs> things that protrude and project from foods are called, you know, that you just never knew the word of. Even I, with my lexical <laughs> ingestion, never heard of. Which is incredible, which is incredible. So, okay, so food-wise, what was on your dinner table when you were growing up? What were you eating? What was going on there? And what were you liking? Were you fussy? Well, my granny, my granny was a supreme baker, is, um, and we were very spoiled with cakes. And it has meant really that my advice to this day is cake, to the extent that um, my little nephew, who is also my best chum, who is now five, when he was knee high to a grasshopper, I used to have him at least one day a week, you know, and he was sort of 10 months old. Um, I used to take him all over London to the Science Museum and the Transport Museum. And he loved the Transport Museum. And very near there, there is a cake cafe. And it has the most divergent panoply of cakes. And when he was 10 months old, because of my penchant for cakes, his first word, I, I regret to say, was cake. And I remember <laughs> taking him there and him being completely agog at this divergent panoply of, of gattos and going from one to the next going, that's cake, and that's the cake, and that's the cake, and that's the cake. And we were there for a good 10 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes. He he was right, though. He was right. 75 cakes going, and that's cake. And that's... Actually, there's a very naughty story about him and cake. But I don't know, how rude can you go on here? Uh, well, I tell you, the guests that we've had, you can say absolutely bloody anything. Really? Okay, well, this is going to get somewhat blue. But bearing that in mind, that um, that was his first word. And he was, he was quite, uh, I know I'm very biased, but he was quite a gifted 10-month-old. And he, he did have about um, 12 or 13 words. But if he didn't know the word, um, then he would invent. And all his inventions sounded pretty similar. They were things like pint and pont, and they were all kind of a, a little bit Anglo-Saxon. And um, Anyway, he brandished two dinosaurs one day and came toddling into the sitting room. And I was looking after him on my own. And I said, oh, Artie, you've got your dinosaurs. Uh, what sound do they make? And he went, Rawr. and I said, very good. And I said, what are they called? And he looked a bit puzzled. And then he held up the blue one and he said, it's a cake. And I said, yeah, you will call him cake. Why not? And, um, and then... I said, and what about the multicolored one? We've got to give him a name too. And he held that up and he looked at it for a very long time. And then he went, it's a cunt. <laughs> and I just thought, well, I'm not going to acknowledge it at all because it will become cemented then. And so I just completely of course, yes. brushed over it, completely uh, glossed over it. And he carried on playing with all his farmyard animals and these two things. And he kept talking and going, it's a kick, it's a kick, it's a kick. And I thought, oh, oh God, when Miranda comes home, she's going to kill me. Yes, and she definitely got it from uncle. Uh, he definitely got it from his uncle, I have to say. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> um, so what would you say for you, Tom, is the best thing when it comes to food? Oh, I think it probably has to be cake. When all <laughs> I love a really good, really quite uh, strong coffee cake. I love that. Anything Ooh. that, you see, the thing is, my palate always wants a suggestion of the other. So if it's sweet, it wants a little bit of, of tartness or sharpness or, or power. Um, you know, if it's, uh, if it's very creamy, then I want a bit of zest or a bit of piquancy. It's always longing for a hint of the other. So that's why I love things like coffee cake or, or chocolate cake with a really good dark chocolate to give it that oomph. Uh, uh, we're just going to probably say cake, but yeah, coffee cake, chocolate cake, which that gives it that kind of <laughs> that special power. Yeah. Um, so I'm yes. going to say the best thing about food for Tom is cake, not the other C word that your nephew might have said. No. Um, so <laughs> uh, next up, we're going to talk travel. Tom, yes. travel, 
going away, holidays, those things that we were doing in 2019, <laughs> and then something happened, and then they've all been put on hold. But uh, what is your relationship with travel? Are you a big traveler? Do you like going away and I do. You know, exploring the world? I, it's something I tend to do, uh, very fortunately, with work quite a lot. But I think my favorite trip ever, ever, ever was kind of very much shoehorned in. I was studying, curiously, in the deep south in America. And I booked my flight home and I thought, I'm going to go via New York. And I'd never been before. And I always wanted to see a Broadway show. I devoured so many soundtracks all the way back to the 1930s. I mean, what? no, the 20s, because I had a showboat original cast soundtrack, which I think was 1927. So I was hell bent on seeing a Broadway show. And I got there, I had about three days, and I saw a production that was neat as a pin. It was an actor musician's production of Company by Stephen Sondheim. And my abiding memory was that they gave Joanne, who's this real tartar of a lady, I mean, really acerbic and very, very jaded. And I thought, what instrument will they give her? There's very few instruments that are really apropos for that kind of character. And actually, they went with most instruments being malapropos, and they gave her a triangle. And <laughs> this, this impossibly jaded, world-weary lady occasionally pinging a triangle as this sort of wonderfully incongruous punchline was complete heaven. It was absolutely brilliant. And it's indelibly seared on my mental retina. So it was very, very <laughs> special. I have to say it even tops rather controversially the most wonderful revival of company that we had recently uh, in London with Patti Lapone et al. Uh, it was just consummate it was everything i'd hoped a broadway show would be and more it was just divine and i loved tripping those streets and imagining the people that had tripped them before me from gertrude lawrence through to barbara streisand you know it was just dazzling to me new york has this weird energy that i sort of felt when i was there and and to see even just going to the cinema and, and especially going to the theater and stuff i saw i think i saw the color purple which had cynthia revo in and had jennifer hudson oh. in and, and the cast was you know yes. extraordinary but the audience was something different like if you ever do a show do a show in America because they're going to tell you if they oh. like you or they don't like you. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, just from it, being a star and being applauded on your entrance. I mean, how amazing is that? You'd feel like Hermes with wings on your heels just from the second you set foot on stage because they're applauding. It's that wonderfully polite thing of applauding your whole oeuvre, every piece of work that you've done up to that point, not just the performance that night, whereas I think less so now, but I think typically a British audience is inclined to sit back and say, come on then, show me what you've got. Even if you are a living legend, you know, it's sort of like, well, this is a new piece. Uh, yeah, prove it. <laughs> prove it. Again, all over again. Yes, yes. Which is why I think people like um, Judy Dench and, and yeah. Judy Andrews say that they get more nervous uh, with every passing performance because they're measured against their entire body of work. Whereas when you're a sproglet, you've got nothing to lose. You've got nothing to be measured against. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you, it, it is weird because even, I mean, we're sort of going off topic and that happens all the time, but even just <laughs> doing any performance, you're only as good as the last performance you did, especially in England. That's what people sort of judge you on. And, yeah. uh, and Americans are very, you know, forthright and, you know, they, they like yeah. to say how it is. Let's just say that. Um, yes. Is there anywhere in the world that you haven't been that you would like to go to? Oh, yes. I long to go to Mauritius because... Oh, who doesn't? Um, because I've got a lot of family heritage there. My um uh about oh gosh i think my great great grandfather was the mayor of mauritius and uh they were french emigre and they settled there and um 
it was really halcyon days for them. And my maternal grandparents visited three times and said that it really was paradise. And they also said, which is very significant and, and important to me, they said it's one of the most dazzling places to go in terms of um, cultural unity because because it is an island culture and because there are so many influences from India, from France, from China, from all over the place. And there's this kind of beautiful melange where everybody sort of cherry picks the loveliest bits of, of all those influences and celebrates them all equally. And they said it really struck them in a, in a, in a way that they've never really been struck by that anywhere else in the world. So that makes me long to go too. I mean, that just sounds delightful. Uh, any of my friends I've known. It does sound utopian. It does, especially it? in this sort of time when you kind of just feel like the nights are sort of, it gets dark at sort of four or five o'clock and, you know, and everyone's stuck in their homes mm. and all that sort of stuff. And the thought of just being out, being free and on the beach and in this beautiful, idyllic, you know, beautiful island which would be amazing right now but who knows knows you would have been been spurred on to create this thing and dance on people's tympanic membranes to cheer them because maybe that that uh inner ear cheer would not be required in that dream setting that's very true that is very you know i had a dear friend when i was studying at the royal academy of music who used to skip through the door every day and she had these earphones in. And I said to her, what is your playlist on your iPod? Because you're always <laughs> bouncing through the door. And she said, oh, it's not a playlist at all, darling. It's a Finnish invention. She was Finnish. And she pulled it out and she said, it's little UV light that a Finnish scientist invented to shine on your brain when it's a long, dark day uh, to trick your brain into thinking that the sun is out. And she said, it really works. It puts a real spring in my step. And she did it. Wow. Someone had drilled into her calcania and inserted springs there. It was dazzling. <laughs> um, what would you say, Tom, is the best thing when it comes to travel for you? Oh, learning, I think. Um, Good answer. I, I really think that uh, I like to ingest as much as I can of local culture and and the people, um, that's the thing I find most diverting. But then if it's a, a place that's singularly brilliant in one particular area, like um, New York and, and their theatre district, then it will be that, you know, it will be total immersion in all that they have to offer. Which is why I couldn't possibly go there now, because it would just make me too sad. You know, make me far too sad. Oh, yeah. But um, next year. Yeah, we need it to go back. When yes. it goes back to normal. Yes. Be, be Halcyon days again. Yeah. Yes. We'll have the roaring 20s. Again. Yes. Um, so I'm going to say, Tom, the best thing when it comes to travel uh, for you is learning. And obviously New York and sort of Broadway and all that stuff yeah. as well, which, which is amazing. Uh, next up, we're going to be talking film and TV. We'll be right back to find out what the best thing is to do with film and TV with Tom. But first, we have the boys at Film Bag. And it should be Tom or Revan. Or Revan and Tom. Anyway, let's find out what they're watching. Hey guys, today I'm going to be talking about the film Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always, directed by Eliza Hitman. It came out in 2020 and was, in my opinion, one of the year's best films. Here's a clip. I didn't see you at school today. I went to the doctor. What's wrong? Girl problems. Don't you ever just wish you were a dude? All the time. This is the most magical sound you will ever hear. So this follows Autumn, who's an American high schooler that discovers she's 10 weeks pregnant, however, is unable to get an abortion in her own home state due to the very archaic laws surrounding the right to have an abortion. She decides to take a perilous journey into New York with her cousin to get an abortion safely, um, and the film charts 
their very tense 48 hours in the city and the complications that arise. The director, Eliza Hitman, infuses every scene with a really uncomfortable sense of dread at every single turn. The film's shot in an almost cinema verite-like style. You'd be forgiven for thinking that it was a documentary. Uh, one particular sequence that comes to mind towards the second half, wherein Autumn has to answer some questions from a nurse, and Hitman employs a stationary shot, so we're just forced to look entirely at Autumn as she answers and listens to the nurse. Of course, a sequence like this is only as strong as its actor, and thankfully, uh, Sidney Flanagan, who portrays Autumn, delivers a very measured and stoic performance where you can just really feel the weight on this poor young woman threatening to just, just tear her down completely. And it's absolutely a mesmerizing performance. There's nothing over the top about this. It's not trying to go for the easy, dramatic expectations of a film like this. Instead, it's portraying the stark and brutal reality of a system that doesn't actually care about supporting women. Um, this is a damning portrait of the Trump administration and the havoc that they have caused young women to face with, you know, not providing any semblance of safe spaces. One of the most difficult films that I've watched recently, but also one of the most rewarding, and I strongly, strongly encourage you to check out this one. Tom, film and TV, I was just sort of saying that you're on TV a blooming lot, um, which is wonderful because we're loving it. Um, oh. What is your affiliation with film? What's your affiliation with TV? You know, what what's your go-to normally? Are you more of a TV series or film person? Oh, gosh. Well, I don't like to overwatch television. So I, I sort of have one episode of a series a day and then I watch a film in the evening and I think probably my favourite film of all is Bringing Up Baby, which Aww. is a 1939 screwball comedy. It's just divine with Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. And, oh, it's one of those fabulous films where even the tiniest actor, I don't mean diminutive, I mean even the tiniest, <laughs> <laughs> even the tiniest role is played by a top-class actor. You know, it's like they had an almost like a, a repertory company that were just absolutely brilliant. Um, but also, I'm a bit of a feminist. And the thing about those screwball comedies of the 1930s is that it took about another 30 or 40 years for Hollywood to create roles that were that good for women again. These, these um, as they were called, fast-talking ladies who... Um, were really emancipated and um, had the lion's share of the best lines in the films and also quite a lot of creative input. And Catherine Hepburn and Barbara Stanwyck and all those people were just glorious in those kind of movies. And I absolutely love Bringing Up Baby. I think it was the apotheosis of, of that kind of movie at the end of the 30s. I think it was 39 that amazing year where the wizard of oz came out and gone with the wind came out and bringing out baby came out and oh my goodness it's one of those years in hollywood where if you took it away the whole of cinema would be different yes definitely definitely i think it was uh that sort of that milestone of and like you said it took a, it took a while to get sort of back to that as well and 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 then, you know you sort of fast yeah. forward really strong in the you know female lead characters which you don't even realize like I, some, I heard someone say the other day and this is a bit different but alien and Sigourney Weaver was like the one who was the main character but I don't think anyone cared that it was male or female it was just a strong wonderful character and I think yeah. that that's what's really important. Tu as raison, monsieur. I think you're absolutely right. But um, <laughs> interestingly, talking about Sigourney Weaver, that takes me on to my favourite television show, which is Call My Agent. And um, in the very first lockdown, I speak French, as, as you just heard, rather mm -hmm, I did. And, um, and I, don't, I don't speak it very well, but I'm passionate about it. And because of my family history, a big old Francophile, and I said to my mummy, who really is fluent and, and who French people think is French, um, I said, could we have 
Zoom lessons in lockdown? And she said, oh, oui, bien sûr. So we started and uh, I, I loved it. And then I realized that one lesson a week wasn't really enough and I'm not that good at doing homework. So um, I thought, well, I'll find a French series. And curiously, my agent uh, recommended this show, Call My Agent, which I think is 10% in French, but it's Call My Agent on Netflix. And it's completely in French. And it's about the machinations of a top talent agency in Paris. And it's amazing kind of uh, art meets life because they really do, uh, in the series, supposedly represent the greatest talents in French cinema. People like Isabelle Huppert and um, Juliette Binoche pop up periodically as though they're existing clients of this agency and they tilt at themselves and they make fun of themselves and it is probably the wittiest uh comedy i have ever watched and it does that wonderful thing a bit like phoebe waller bridge and those very clever writers where it sort of oscillates between belly laughs and tremendous poignancy and on a sixpence and you think how on earth was I laughing 30 seconds ago and now I'm in floods of tears? I mean, my bladder has always been too close to my eyes anyway, so I am rather inclined to cry, <laughs> but, but it really is most extraordinary. I, I highly recommend it. And Sigourney Weaver appears as a supposed kind of um, satellite client in the very last series, which I've just finished. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a weird segue of me saying about Alien and then all of a sudden that actually segues into what you were talking about with this TV show you're watching Call My Agent and Sigourney Zena. Isn't it most extraordinary? And it's extraordinary how often that happens too, isn't it? You, you know, you hear a word for the first time and then you read it seven times the next day or, you know, it's just, it's really potty how often that happens in life i find yeah i think that uh with like i think in matrix they said there's a glitch in the matrix so if you if some they've changed something if uh, that's pretty much what happens in that film so they see a black cat and then they see the same black cat that means they've changed something because apparently we live in a simulation oh. so apparently none of this is real um <laughs> allegedly <laughs> Um, okay, so you've kind of given me your best, you know, your best film, your best TV program. But what would you say, Tom, for you is the best thing when it comes to TV and film? Oh, um, I think the best thing is when you almost forget you have a body, you know, when you're so immersed in it that you really, it's like stepping into a painting that's still wet and you're so much a part of it that you sort of forget that you have appendages altogether. And you're like a little sort of cloud floating through their scenes. I have never heard anyone describe it. We're on the third series, and that is the best way to describe the best thing about TV and film. It's, it's... <laughs> you know that feeling, though, Daniel? You know that feeling I mean yeah. when you, you're so completely immersed that you, you forget your surroundings or, or anything about where you are or who you are or anything. You're just in the story. Yeah, I had that with a film called Call Me By Your Name. And I think that that film unbelievably transcended it. And it's so weird because I loved the film when I saw it and I've never seen it again because I don't need to ruin it. I even own it and I won't watch it again because I know what happened. I know what it's about. I know how I felt. And that's enough. I don't know. That's my experience. I, I'm going to say, obviously, that was the best answer ever. Uh, the best thing for Tom when it comes to film and TV is forgetting you have a body. It's like stepping in to a wet painting and just like a cloud. I wrote that all down. So that was quite good, me reading that. Back. Uh, <laughs> uh, next up, we're going to be talking music. <laughs> Loving that. Tom's making me laugh there. Anyway, we're going to be right back to find out what the best thing is to do with music with Tom. But first, we've got Bethia Beats and her track of the pod. So, over to you, Bethia. Hi, 
everyone, it's Bethia from Bethia's Beats. My chosen artist for this week is the lovely Sophie Hastings. She's a 25-year-old indie pop artist and songwriter from Reading in the UK. She's influenced by artists such as Taylor Swift, Dermot Kennedy, Mumford & Sons and Ed Sheeran. Sophie found her voice at the age of six and at 18 she attended the Academy of Contemporary Music in Guildford for a year to hone her performing art skills and also learn more about the music industry. She's also self-taught on guitar, piano and even ukulele. Here's a snippet of her song Flying playing in the background right now but stick around to the end of the podcast where you can hear the full song being played and you can also find Sophie's social media links and also where to find this amazing song. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time. Tom, music, um, you're a bit of a singer, because I saw you on a reality TV show, because I was scaling all of, uh, is it scaling or scrolling? I don't know. I was looking through YouTube, and then opt you popped, uh, singing a song on, on, on The Voice. That, yes. that, I wasn't expecting yes, that, because you're already famous, so I wasn't expecting <laughs> Well, that. I wasn't then, actually. It was the very first thing I did. Um and it was the oldest song of the series. It was a 1947 song called Accentuate the Positive. Um, and I absolutely... I know it. I know it well. Oh, it's just, it, it really was sort of my mantra, is my mantra, uh, for finding those Panglossian things. And um, I was in a play. I was in a repertory season in Windsor, and it was pretty ropey old play it was a Francis Durbridge play who was really a radio playwright and so he forgot to kind of translate them for theatre and so people would say I'm just bringing in the suitcases and he'd be like well yes the audience can see that it's not radio <laughs> anyway I, it was a murder <laughs> mystery and I was uh, supposed to be a suspect and it was not very good and um, and I thought I must do something I can't just bumble along like this living off the smell of an oily rag as my dad used to say um and so I auditioned for The Voice and lo and behold I, I got on and I flopped terribly but the show well I don't think you did you sounded great by the way oh. you did sound great just because they might not understand the genre of oh. music um I, you did do well, really well that's so dear that's so dear but I uh, the show itself was extremely generous to me and they played the whole of my interview and backstory and my exchange with the judges. Um, and it was that really, because somewhere in a sitting room elsewhere, uh, a lady called Frankie Nickel, who's become a very good friend of mine, um, was casting Celebs Go Dating and wanted somebody sort of very jolly hockey sticks um, as a kind of a counter narrative to the more serious romantic narratives that were happening upstairs. And um, so she thought that I could be that ear, shoulder, bosom. And I was very willing to be an ear and a shoulder and a bosom. And that started really. Tom, I think that you may be the most successful, and this is no disrespect to anyone. I think you may be the most successful person on The Voice <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> well, you know, because because who else has gone on to have a have a TV career and gone on to do work with the BBC and, you know, is on, you know, Sunday brunch and stuff like that. Who's done the voice? Nearly no one. You might have not got anyone to turn around, but you did get someone to turn around in that audience and offer you a blooming job. So well done to you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I've always felt with the voice that they have such divergent talents who are such good singers in in different fields to um, popular song, that they should make their uh, USP with their talents more about, did they land a role in a West End play or did they sing on a film soundtrack or or something like that, rather than kind of um, uh, commercial success because they have such different voices 
to the other talent shows, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that, that, I mean, look, you're one of those people, you know what I mean? You were on the show. You sang really, really well. They didn't turn around. You got offered enough. Anyway, um, what are you playing? <laughs> what What is your music taste? Do you have a an old, I can imagine that you have like a record, because I'm, I'm looking at mine. I can imagine you have a record player. Because on my record player, I've well, listened to some. You have a trumpet. I can see behind you. You have a trumpet. I, I, I can't play it. No, no, I can't play it. But I, I was listening to some Miles Davis uh, oh, on my record player, and I just thought that was just that's kind of nice. Well, just I love sort of my jazz too. I absolutely yeah, adore it. And funnily enough, sometimes I interview myself in the bath, like we <laughs> egocentric people do, and um, and I do episodes of Desert Island Discs, and the one person that comes up every single time, you know, I very often have. Um, Maria Callas or Mario Lanza or um, occasionally Duke Ellington or all kinds of people. But the one yes. person that's always there is Ella Fitzgerald. Oh. And as somebody that sings a bit, um, you know, you can't help in a way uh, listening and sort of slightly scrutinizing um, the way they're singing and, and wondering how they're making that particular sound. And Ella is the one singer that I never do that with. I just accept what proceeds from her larynx and just love it and just just revel in the pleasure of that sound without ever trying to analyze it and funnily enough i remember going to woolworths when i was um <laughs> about 12 with my granny and i think it was the first album i ever bought was an ella fitzgerald album and uh, it was exquisite it it was such a surprise to my ears and one i never got over yeah just i i love sort of beautiful calming just it's not even gentle it's just because it's so complex and, and 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 a lot of it done in sort of one or two takes you know there wasn't times to sort of do things line by line that like there is now no, musicians. no. <laughs> um no yeah and actually there, there was a uh sorry um daniel but there there was a song on that album i remember which to me was the most perfect description of the theatre, which I was already in love with, which is, um, it's only a paper moon, um, when it says, um, it's only a paper moon hanging over a cardboard tree, but it wouldn't be make-believe if you believe in me. And the notion that, that, as long as you can suspend your disbelief and believe what the artist is telling you and the story that they're trying to convey, then it doesn't really matter if you see that it's um, a muslin uh, backdrop or, or that it's a paper moon or, or whatever. And I thought that was just the most perfect summation of the arts and, and suspension of disbelief I'd ever heard in this perfect little lyric you are a huge fan of musical theater and we sort of said that you know talking about broadway yes. and stuff and and you've done a little bit of musical theater you've you played the mad hatter and and alice in wonderful and alice in wonderland in the madanat theater in dubai very nice how was that oh my god you've really <laughs> done your work i can't i can't believe it where have you found this stuff i Dan? care man i care that's what i'm just saying oh, you i care you do um Yes, I did. I did play there and I loved it. And it was actually, I had a kind of a, a holiday because we had this huge scene of the um, March Hare and I, uh, where everything, every line had to be on the lift of a teacup and then your pinky had to go up at a certain time in the line. And everything was, it was a, a, a ballet dancer um, who directed us. And it was really choreographed, the whole thing. And at the end of this sort of excruciating week of committing all of that to memory, he said, if you can retain all of that, then you can have the next two weeks off. Um, wow. Uh, while I rehearsed the rest of the company. So we had this glorious time, sort of uh, once a day, we would rehearse that scene privately so that, we knew that we still had it, but the rest of the time uh, we were swimming and camel riding and it was amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've been to Dubai a few times, and the Madinat is just beautiful, that sort of area. Anyway, um, what would you say, Tom, is the best thing when it comes to music for you? I did jazz hands there, which no one can see me, but what is the best thing when it comes to music for you, Tom? I think it probably is that thing where um, you listen to a singer, and for me, when they take you to a place where you stop analysis of of any kind and you're just transported uh, i think that's probably the most magical thing and ella can always do it for me always yeah i think she does it for loads of people um i'm gonna say the best thing when it comes to music for tom is probably ella fitzgerald but when she just transports you to that just wonderful tranquil place i'm now saying long words for you just because <laughs> you. No, normally i'm like oh it just takes you to that place down the road near the bus stop um <laughs> i can't wait to find out what this is going to be i'm going to give you like 10 seconds to think about it but um we're going to be finding out what tom's best thing is to do with something random after this tom I don't want to spoil it for myself, so I didn't ask. Um, enjoying your fizzy water there, which is nice. Um, what, what is the best thing when it comes to something completely random? This is your choice. What are you going to choose? I think it's got to be crosswords, you know. Ooh, that's a good one. I absolutely love them because they make my synapses snap and my grey cells dance. And I do one every single morning and... I find that discourse comes very easily once I've done them and that actually my brain is a kind of rather addled, curious old place before I do it. And once it's complete, I fire on, well, I mean, not quite all cylinders, but at least one cylinder is <laughs> And I just love them because not, I hasten to add, not cryptic because that's like a Rubik's Cube for me. I just can't do it at all but um but the synonym based ones i just adore and also it brings up words that you'd quite forgotten you know because they're very obscure sometimes and you think oh yes that's the word and then you start using it that day and i just think they are a marvelous thing to do and also they've been there for me in really tough times in a funny way because uh i find that if you're having a, a very tricky time, it's sometimes quite hard to watch a movie or a play or even read a book. And the things that you normally find most diverting just can't quite do it for you because you can't focus properly. But a crossword will do it because your mind has to enter a particular groove and it's active. And uh, therefore, there's a little bit of escapism there too. It sort of ticks every box. That is amazing. It's so funny when I ask people this question, I never know what's going to come out of their mouths. And now you're going to be one of the ones who go, well, we've had loads of people say this, Greek mythology, crosswords. You're going to be in that category now because it is slightly out there, which is nice because I think especially in this last couple of years, you know, to be, and you are by yourself, you know, and we get to Zoom and stuff and maybe occasionally do a podcast or do a TV show like you're doing all of them. Um, but it's nice to have that sort of quiet time. It's sort of reading a book, but learning at the same time while trying yes. to figure out so we can make your brain work a little bit yes yes but you know that awful thing where sometimes if you're just a little out of sorts and you try to read a book and you end up reading the same page seven times and yes. even on the seventh time it doesn't go in and when you're having one of those days a crossword will be your best friend you know because because it's a different kind of invitation for the brain to be um completely involved and alert and so uh if you're having a tough time they're very good but they're also lovely if you're just sort of having a nice old time sort of strolling in the park find a lovely bench and a sunny spot and do the crossword i always have i'm wearing it now but you can't see um when i go for a run in the morning i wear a kind of a kangaroo pouch or a joey pouch um oh yeah, yeah. i've seen them i've been seeing them advertise actually they, you clip they, it down they go so you around your waist and um, they're very figure-hugging, so you barely notice they're there. And then you slide your newspaper inside it, and then you can whip it out oh, in wow. the park. The newspaper. <laughs> 
yes, of course, of course, the newspaper. Yes. Um, so I, I don't really have much to say. Oh, what, what word-wise, what is a word that you thought, that's clever that you've got that into the crossword? Because I think, obviously, if you think about the people who make the crosswords, that's a kind, kind of art in itself, isn't it? Like making oh, it sharp and, oh my goodness. Well, let me just look at this one because um, this one had some funny ones, I'm sure. Oh, yes. So this word, this was the only one that I couldn't get because I really didn't know this. Um, what? Ten down, lacking ambition, nine letters. And it was shiftless. I had never Ooh. heard that before. Um, me neither. Yeah, I thought that was a really curious one. But, um, but there it is. There it is. So now I shall use it. I love that. Uh, I'm going to say Make for you, Tom, <laughs> the mm -hmm. best thing when it comes to something random is crosswords. Now, um, we've got a question that we started in Series 2, and now we've linked it over to Series 3. And uh, I think I did actually put it on your sheet, but people look at it and they're like, what does that mean? So I'm going to ask you, Tom, and you've got a few seconds to think about it, but what yes. is the best thing about you, Tom? You can answer that in 10 seconds' time. Oh, Apparently, you know, Tom, what is it? What's the I best do. thing about you, Tom? I do. Well, when my sister used to live in London, we had something that we called Make London a Village campaign. And basically, the, the essence of it was to be really benevolent and friendly to everyone that one encountered that day, um, working in the supermarket or, or your local cafe or whatever, just engaging in discourse and uh, trying to have a sunny disposition because it is like the kind of real life butterfly effect because you can change the course of a person's day and when you engage in it really earnestly it becomes a kind of superpower in a way so um that's it I think I think it's that um right approach to quotidian discourse <laughs> of course everyone's like flicking through their dictionary like um okay yep, yep no one's happy. I'll be there I know, what a there. ridiculous highfalutin way of saying it I could just say be cheery <laughs> <laughs> and you are very cheery and I sort of said this I wasn't recording but I was just saying how lovely and cheery that you are and you are exactly the same as what we see on the TV and, and, and our version of you and you were, and you, like I said, you were loved by any of the celebrities that come in, you know, and, 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 and anyone you kind of meet. And I think, and I wrote this down in my notes, I think that you and Mary should have a spin-off show. Just you and Dame oh, Mary, just a spin-off show. Sipping tea. Oh, <laughs> I would adore it. I love that woman. I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> um, what's coming up next for you? What, what's what's going on? What's the plans for 2021? Obviously, you've got celebs. It's in the mansion now. Celebs go dating in the mansion. Yes, indeed it is. Indeed it is. Um, the Queen's horse had a nosebleed in 1950, and she called an equine vet who fixed the nosebleed. And for the rest of his working life, I think, was her vet and he died in 2016 age 96 and his son built this faux georgian property um that really looks like something out of bridgerton but when you get inside it's like something out of james bond because you press buttons and things shoot out of walls and that's when you know it's not really georgian because it's so contemporary but um yes i'm doing that and then best home cook as you said which is lovely i, I just a Adore that show and everyone on it. Um, and uh, podcasting again with Tom Reed Wilson has words with, which um, I is lovely because I get to wow. meet some of my real heroes, Jennifer Saunders and Alan Carr and uh, uh, Angela Scanlon and all kinds of wonderful people and discuss their dialects and turn of phrase and even words they use in their own homes. I mean, for example, Jennifer Saunders calls Apu the fourth because her grandfather was a Cambridge Don and they had three academic buildings called the first, the second and the third. And then the fourth was a little outdoor loo. And over time it became the deposit one would leave 
in the outdoor loo. I mean, hopefully not permanently. They crash. But uh, uh, then they adopted that in the Saunders household. So it it throws up the most extraordinary things wow. sometimes. Discoveries I think you couldn't make any other way. I will definitely put all those links into the into the podcast and so people can catch up on I, oh. iPlayer and E4 and uh, all the other channels. Um, Tom, you've been an absolute pleasure. And I hopefully we can grab a lovely gin or a cup of tea or sparkling water when everything's gone a little bit back to normal i would absolutely sorry that was my tummy rumbling i hope you didn't hear it (laughs) (laughs) i would love it's two o'clock it's two o'clock that's why um (laughs) i'd love it and i think you're an absolute darling and you're a wonderful host stop it stop it Um, you're warm and affable and everything you want a host to be and you know what my dog's not even moved once i'm just going to slightly smooth my screen over it not still in the same position nothing just oh it's because he can't smell the pheromone if this was oh yeah right right right, darcy would be right on you um thank you so much tom you're an absolute pleasure what an absolute delight Tom Reed Wilson was. Thank you so much for doing that. And check him out. There's always a Celeb Goes Dating on. So he'll be on anytime. You can probably get it on E4. And if you miss Celeb Best Home Cook, you can get it on the iPlayer as well. So thank you to him. Thank you to everyone that makes this podcast what it is. So thank you to Adam Harris and his fat chicken. You'll be finding out his answer right at the end of this. Thank you to Bethia Beats and her song, Track of the Pod, will be played right at the end of the podcast. So listen all the way through. The boys at Filmbag, Tom and Revan. Uh, the music in the background is done by Jimmy Lundy, Tom Baxter and myself. And the artwork is by JMD. Up next is Adam Harris's answer. And then followed by Bethia Beach track of the pod. We'll be seeing you next time. I don't know why I say that because it's a podcast. Well, you're here for me. See ya. Hey, fat chicken. Um, It feels like a long time ago now, but I asked you what the word Samsung means. In Samsung, as in your TV, as in your phone, Samsung. Samsung means three stars in Korean. It was chosen by the founder because he wanted the company to be powerful and everlasting, like the stars in the sky. Another one of those for you on the next episode. Cluck, cluck. Give me a second, I've been running around in circles just to
Que si ven 